We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Finding Peace Podcast. I have a special guest with me today. Just to start out with this week, the question of the week is, how do I help someone who is suicidal? This is a question that has actually been asked several times through emails, and so I decided to bring a special guest with me today to talk about this really important issue. And so I'm going to have you introduce yourself, and then we're going to go from there. Good afternoon, Troy. My name is Christopher Lee. I'm currently I'm working for the U.S. Army as one of the roles as a suicide prevention program manager, and that involves doing a lot of training on suicide prevention and intervention. My background: I do have a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. I'm not currently a certified or licensed counselor at this time. Could be a goal for the future. And over the course of the years, I've been spending a lot of time looking at the issue of suicide. And part of it is personal for me because growing up, my godfather, who was my great uncle, uh, a really gregarious man, died by suicide. Mm. One of the first lessons I learned from that was that very often when we think of suicide as something selfish, it's not. And his experience was a fear of being a burden to his family. Mm-hmm. And so when we take a look at some of the myths about suicide, it's important to examine those as well because too often what we do when we meet somebody or what we say when we meet somebody who's having thoughts of suicide is is colored by the beliefs we have or the experiences we've had. And so part of the important thing when we're talking about suicide is one, most importantly, talking about it. Yeah. But also recognizing what our own awareness and bias is so that we're careful not to let that interfere with how we can help. What are some of the myths of suicide? Some of the myths about suicide that are particularly relevant include, as I mentioned, the the idea of selflessness, I mean selfishness, excuse me, Uh, some of the research into uh, the forensic psychology of suicide and into the notes left behind by people show actually a great deal of thoughtfulness and very often it's it's not about the self it's about the family another myth about suicide that i think is important to highlight is people are often afraid that if they talk about suicide they might put the idea in someone's head Mm. and i can tell you that's not true most of the time if you're talking to someone and the thought crosses your mind i wonder if they're thinking about suicide i wonder if that could be an issue it's likely to have crossed their mind as well. What they have found is that when we do talk about suicide, people are less likely to act on those thoughts. And we are not going to put it in someone's head. It's not going to make them think about it more. Yeah, I would imagine that there's a lot of shame around the feelings of suicide, and so it's really hard to talk about. And so if somebody had the courage to say, hey, are you feeling suicidal or... Have you ever had any suicidal thoughts? It gives them permission to talk about something that they've been carrying around with them and have been embarrassed or ashamed to talk about, and it makes it feel less 
painful, less heavy. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we talk about how to help somebody when they're having thoughts of suicide, most important thing that we can do is just listen. Just listen. And when we've developed enough rapport and enough trust with a person, that they're willing to answer the question we're going to ask, are you having thoughts of suicide? Then very often they're going to talk about why they're having thoughts of suicide. For many of us, our initial reaction is to try to change their mind. Mm-hmm. What about all of these things that are good in your life? Or, you know, how about the impact it's going to have on other people? The best thing we can do is just let them listen. If we let the person talk about the reasons they're thinking about suicide, eventually they'll run out of things to say about why they want to die and naturally kind of shift towards recognizing some of their own strengths, mm. which is going to be help connect them to hope, and they end up in a much better place um, for, they're better prepared for seeking help through a counselor. The counselor will kind of help them, push them towards the counselor a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm hearing that oftentimes as they're in this dark place, if we try to talk them out of it, sometimes that just keeps them, like they're resistantly hanging into being in that dark place. But if we give them some space to be able to talk about it, they feel a little bit better, feel a little bit better. And then they start to experience some hope and say that, oh, maybe things are a little bit better. Maybe I'm, I can do this. Maybe things will work out. Yes, absolutely. A common response for a lot of people when they hear suicide is to discount it. Oh, you're being dramatic or mm-hmm. he's not worth it or she's not worth it. And when we do that, we shut them down. And then they're not likely to talk to us again about suicide. But just listening, listening compassionately and listening without judgment does more for connecting the person to hope than anything else we can do. Yeah. As a, as a therapist, um, I oftentimes have people who come in and are suicidal. And the philosophy that I use um, is based on CAMS. I don't know if you're familiar with CAMS. I can't even remember what it stands for, but it's the best practice training that uh, we use when we're dealing with people who are suicidal. And one of the foundational principles is, of course, you're feeling suicidal. Someone who's dealing with the kind of pain and stress and hard things that are going on in your life it would make sense that that would be one of the thoughts that you have is that this is the way out. This is a way to end the pain. And so we can validate, yes, I get that this is really painful for you. Of course you're having those thoughts and validate the pain. A lot of times I think people's thoughts of suicide aren't necessarily that they want to die. It's just, they want the pain to stop. And so if we can validate that there is a lot of pain, of course, that's something that you're having now, Let's see if we can come up with a, a more effective plan of helping you deal with the pain and and feel like you can cope a little bit better. That that's a very strange perspective a lot of times when we when I share that with other therapists because there is that initial fear of like oh no you you can't do that you can't you can't validate that but in the end it just helps them feel heard. Absolutely. Not only does it help them feel heard, but it helps them feel less marginalized. Mm. Because the, when we look at statistics, the percentage of people who die by suicide is relatively small. The impact it has is a lot larger. But then we take a look at the number of people who have attempted suicide, it's quite a bit larger. And when we look at surveys, 
there's several different surveys out there that, that collect that information, some of them for the military, some of them for the general public. We see that the number of people who have thoughts about suicide is actually quite a bit more significant than most people realize. Mm-hmm. And just like you say, when you're listening to somebody talking and you feel like, I can't walk away without asking the question, sometimes it helps to summarize what you've heard. Wow, you've talked about these three or four things, and I can't imagine someone going through all that and not having thoughts of suicide. It normalizes it, and it makes them feel less taboo or stigmatized to talk about it. And so that's mm-hmm. something we encourage people to do. So if I'm someone who doesn't feel comfortable talking about this topic, what are some ways that I can feel more confident in having the courage to ask those questions? Well, that's a great question. One of the things that we can do in order to feel more comfortable to have a conversation about suicide is through certain trainings that are available. Here in Yuma, this evening, and also on Saturday morning at the main library, excuse me, this evening's is going to be at Arizona Complete Health, at 6, and um, Saturday morning at the main library in the conference room at, I believe, 10. We have training called Question, Persuade, Refer. Mm. And it's a evidence-based program that is based on years of research that helps people understand how to question, um, gives them some information on how to persuade someone to seek assistance, and then also we talk about how to help them reach that assistance. It's a great training. There's a lot of different different areas might have different options. So I would check with your local behavioral health providers and, and companies and see if you have something in your area if you're not in Yuma. Also, there's the, the hotlines, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-TALK. Sometimes it's the best place to start if you don't know what to do. Mm. Just call the hotline together with a person you're worried about. So it's, it's okay if you're not the suicidal person to call the hotline and, and talk. Absolutely. To them. Absolutely. Even though it's called the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, you don't have to be suicidal to call the line. If you're feeling upset, if you need someone to talk to, if you need some support, it can be a great resource for folks. We often talk about suicide prevention when we're talking about question, persuade, refer, when we're talking about calling the hotlines. But those are actually intervention points. Suicide prevention is about connecting to people to resources well before they've had thoughts about suicide, helping them understand what the resources in the community are before they're thinking about suicide. So I know you're doing the training tonight. If mm-hmm. you're going to give me a nutshell version of the training, uh, what are some key takeaways that uh, someone would be getting from the training? I think the, the best way to describe the training is it's sort of like CPR, the Heimlich Maneuver. Okay. It gives you some basic tools, uh, how to some things to say, and some warning signs and risk factors to look for so you know when to say. And it covers, it doesn't get into a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. When people walk away, they have a little bit better understanding of how to have that conversation when they feel the need to. What are some of the warning signs? When you talk about suicide, many of the warning signs that we see uh, that aren't as obvious are sadness. We see isolation. Sometimes personal hygiene starts to go downhill. What you often hear people talk about is when people have make statements that are either direct or indirect, such as, the world won't miss me, or nobody will notice when I'm gone. But sometimes they're even more hidden than that. Mm. We often talk about the giving away of property. You know, Those are real obvious. When someone says, I'm having thoughts of suicide, when someone says, take this, I don't need it anymore, we tend to go there. That thought is more prominent. 
another thing that we tend to see is mood swings. And when you, one of the things I think it's important to look at when we're talking about these warning signs, isolation, poor hygiene, mood swings, irritability, those are all normal natural responses to the big losses in life that often lead to thoughts. When I talk about the risk factors for suicide, we're talking about the number one, relationships, loss of a relationship, divorce, death, breakups, loss of financial stability, loss of esteem. All of the things that we've highlighted as the major risk factors can be summarized as loss. Mm -hmm. And so being sad, isolating from other people, having being irritable, those are all normal natural responses to loss. And that makes it more difficult to recognize when do we need to have a conversation about suicide. And the only way that we can distinguish between a normal natural response to a loss, a significant loss of that kind, is by checking in with the person, by talking to them, by actively listening and hearing what they have to say. And then recognizing at some point, I need to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're talking about loss. We, in the work that I do, I that's one of the six attachment wounds. Um, attachment wounds are wounds that happen when we our connections are damaged in one way or another. Loss being one of the that's the first one we talk about: rejection, abandonment, betrayal. All that can cause us a tremendous amount of pain, um, and with that usually comes some negative thinking patterns of "I'm not enough," "There's something wrong with me," "I'm too much of a burden." I'm I'm too much for other people. I can't handle that. Can't handle this. Those those thoughts immediately show up when those wounds show up, and it it causes a lot of pain. And if we don't find a way to do some wound care, then it would make sense that the person starts to think, well, how do I just end this pain? I just want to get it away. So recognizing that, it sounds like recognizing. Hey, you you have an attachment when you you're experiencing some loss here. Let me try to be empathic and try to listen and and just be supportive of you. Probably goes a really long way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you mentioned both that that isolation and that burdensomeness because one of the not to get too much of the theory, but one of the popular theories right now that's got a lot of movement behind it is the idea that when there's a perceived burdensomeness, I feel like I'm a burden to either society or my family or somebody, and that's one of the three things required before someone reaches the point of suicide. The other one is the idea of social alienation or isolation. Mm -hmm. And then when those two are combined with an actual ability to go through with the process, which comes from the repeated increasing pain, then you result in the act of suicide. And so everything that you said there about that that connection is mm-hmm. really what it's all about. The DODVA theme for suicide prevention is be, can, be there. Yeah. The only way we're really going to show have any real impact on suicide prevention is if we are there, not just physically, but emotionally, empathically. One of the things that we work out when we... Uh, when we're working with a client who is feeling suicidal, we come up with a plan, and on that plan, about half of that plan is about connection. Who can you reach out to? Who can you talk to? What kind of things do you enjoy doing? Who can you go do those things with? How can we help you not isolate? Uh, 
and that's hard especially when they're depressed and they don't really feel like it that's a hard part of their plan but it's so essential to me um, it's part of how we heal from those attachment wounds is those connections and that's how we uh, find purpose again i think absolutely yeah and that reminds me also thanks for bringing that up because there is a, a app for cell phones now called my three Okay. And so it lets you put in the three people that you're that are closest to you, the three people that you would reach out to in those situations. Kind of helps you make that connection a little quick more quickly than having to scroll through your contacts. Oh, cool. It also lets you create additional resources. You can kind of personalize your resources. Instead of having a long list of websites and phone numbers to call, it helps you create a oh wow. Basically a prevention plan, like a relapse prevention plan yeah. for yourself. With that app, it's a great app to look into if you or someone you know are having thoughts of suicide. Is that available on Android and Apple? Yes, sir, it is. My three. My I three. will. I will put that in the link for the podcast notes for today. Great. So the first part of the training is the question part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really just simply asking the question. It is. So what are some examples of how to ask? The best example is to be straightforward. Are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you thinking about killing yourself? Too often we try to beat around the bush or we're afraid to be so direct. And so we might ask a question like, are you thinking about hurting yourself? They can honestly answer no. Because as you mentioned earlier, very often it's pain, psychological Mm -hmm. physical pain that is driving the thoughts of suicide. So they can honestly say no. And then we may not pick up on that they are having thoughts of suicide. When we say things like, don't do something crazy, you're not going to do something stupid, are you? Then we, for all practical purposes, call them crazy or stupid and shut down the conversation. So the best way is to be direct. Just flat out ask. Mm-hmm. Flat out ask. Are you having suicidal thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are there any other questions that we would ask in that part of the... Well, you certainly can ask quite a... There's several things that someone can ask in that situation. And I'm not recommending you go straight to, are you having thoughts of suicide? Mm -hmm. Uh, When someone comes in to work on Monday and they're dragging, we don't say, hey, are you having (laughs) thoughts of suicide? We ask, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Yes, tell me what's going on. And if the person's willing to open up to you and talk, you can use the information they're giving you to kind of pick up on uh, other, other things that you might ask about. And the other questions we want to ask when someone does mention suicide, we sort of need to determine how much risk are we really looking at. So we do want to ask, do you have a plan? Do you have a means? You know, if there, if there's imminent harm, we really want to call 911. Mm-hmm. If they've thought about it, but they haven't identified how or when or where, then we're in a, a little less of a severe situation. We can call the, the counseling hotlines. <clears throat> So then the P stands for persuade. Yes. So tell me about that. So again, the persuade part is is about being empathic. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we don't want to try to persuade them to live necessarily because we will come up with all the reasons we think they should live, not their reasons for living. Mm-hmm. But persuade is saying, I can't imagine what you're going through. Why don't you come with me while we go talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. Or, hey, let's call this number together. It's using the, the resources that are available and helping the person connect to the resources that are available and and helping connect them to hope. I can't imagine what you're going through, but I, I think we can move. There's hope. We can connect to hope. One of the uh, 
challenges or barriers, I think, for my clients when they're feeling suicidal. They're afraid that if they admit that they're suicidal, that means I'm just going to send them to the emergency room and they're going to be locked up in a inpatient setting, um, which can happen. I'm not going to deny that it, it can happen. Um, unfortunately, most of the inpatient facilities are underfunded. Mm -hmm. They don't have the support that they really used to have. And so it can be a very frightening and terrifying place for people to go. So we try not to send them there if we can help that because we talked a little bit about the need for connection, mm -hmm. how important that is. And if we send you away and you're locked up, you don't have, there's no connection happening. You can't really connect with your friends and family and all of your support system. So I let people know that, hey, if we, if we can come up with a plan and you're willing to follow that plan and you're willing to work through what we can do to remove the, the ways that you could hurt yourself, if you're willing to help us follow through with that, if we can come up with a plan of how you can reach out to people, how often you're going to reach out, then I think we can manage this in your home without having you have to go somewhere scary and, and um, uncomfortable. If you're not, then we might have to call 911 and, and have you go there. But if you're willing to work with us to help keep you safe and keep you alive, we can help you relieve the pain. Absolutely. And I honestly, I don't have any data to support this, but my personal belief is that that working in the community, getting resources in the community, being connected to the community happens much more often when someone talks about suicide than the person being admitted against their will into residential treatment. One of the great things about the Yuma area, Yuma County and the, this whole southern area, uh, is that we have a local hotline as well, and I want to emphasize that. The 24-7 crisis hotline that is run by Arizona Complete Health is um, working to do that, connect people through community resources rather than an ER visit. Mm. When someone calls the 24-7 crisis hotline, they are connected to a nurse who will triage the situation and try to resolve it over the phone. If someone's worried about thoughts of suicide but doesn't have a plan, isn't thinking about when and where, it's very likely that that conversation might end with the referral over the phone to someplace. Mm -hmm. If the nurse can't resolve the situation over the phone, then they do dispatch an actual crisis mobile team member who will come to meet the person in crisis where they're at, wow. whether that's out here on 4th Avenue or in their home or at work. And then the crisis mobile team member who's trained in, in risk assessment and crisis intervention will evaluate and speak with the person and try, again, to resolve the crisis at the lowest level. Right. If that person feels like the risk is too high, they will escort that person, they will transport that person to the 23-hour observation unit that we have here in town. Mm -hmm. We have one of them. Right. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, we only have one residential treatment facility, right. and it doesn't treat adolescents. Right. So there's a whole other layer of issues if we're talking about a youth. Mm -hmm. The great thing about that hotline is it's fully funded. So that call, that face-to-face -face meeting with the crisis mobile team member, the transportation and the observation are all fully funded by that program. People won't get a bill later on for an ambulance ride or an ER ride. Yeah. We really encourage people to use that resource unless there's a medical emergency as well. We right. use them and we encourage people to use that resource rather than a, a ambulance ride to the ER. It's once someone gets to the ER here in Yuma and there's not a medical emergency as well, 
they're going to call the 24-7 crisis hotline. Right. <laughs> right. So we really do encourage people to use that as a first line. Right. And if you call that number instead of the number, the 1-800-273-TALK, you're still going to connect it to somebody who can, can help you out. And that number for the Arizona Complete Health 24-7 Crisis Hotline is 1-866-495-6735. Some other resources people should be aware of is a new text line called um, the Crisis Text Line. And you text HOME to 741741 and can get support through that line. Yeah, I just heard about that on the radio just a couple of weeks ago and the effectiveness, especially with the newer generations who don't like to talk on the phone, but they're very, very proficient in texting, um, how they're able to connect and get some support through texting. Mm-hmm. And the 24-7, hot, the, excuse me, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, the 741741 Crisis Text Line, and the Veterans Crisis Line, which is the 1-800-273-TALK and then dial 1 after the hiccup. Those are all anonymous and confidential. Mm-hmm. So those are resources that people can reach out to and not worry about their identity. Wow. So it's, it's safe. And safe. That's wonderful. What made you, I mean, you talked a little bit at the beginning about, you know, you have some family connection to this. What What's made you be passionate about becoming trained and teaching other people? I've always been passionate about helping other people. I, I've enjoyed that from quite some time. And in my work as a suicide prevention program manager, I had noticed like a gap in absence. And as I went to training, both for my job and for our Yuma Community Suicide Prevention Coalition, who I represent today, we I became energized and impassioned with this idea of connecting with people, with identifying resources and helping out. And one of the problems we ran into in Yuma is their resources are limited. We have a hotline and we have crisis response resources. We as a coalition are trying to bring education, make it more common, more frequent, more prevalent for people to get that education. Because the more people that have learned question, persuade, refer, and more people who attend the assist training when it's available, which is applied suicide intervention skills training. That's a two-day training that's um, based on, again, years of research. These trainings, the more people we have, the more gatekeepers we have in our community. The more gatekeepers we have in our community, the more likely someone who is having thoughts of suicide is going to come up against somebody who's willing to talk to them and knows how to talk to them and is going to get help. So the more people in our community we get on the get in in on the mission of listening and talking to people, the more we will become a suicide safer community. And and there's a need for it. Just since I've started working with the coalition, every time we have an event or talk to somebody, I hear story after story after story. And so it doesn't really matter what the statistics in Yuma are or the statistics in Arizona. Our community has had a lot of loss. Oh, heavens. A lot, a lot of loss. Just the other day on Facebook, there was a young man that um, was being identified his friends were talking about doing Mm -hmm. something to raise awareness and so as the coalition will reach out to them and try to support them as well the impact especially in a small town on a single death by suicide is significant so we continue to look for ways to address that 
How much does the training cost? So the Western Persuade Referred Training that's offered by the Suicide Prevention Coalition, the Yuma, excuse me, the Yuma Community Suicide Prevention Coalition, is free. We don't charge for it. Um, and so if someone wanted to go to that or learn more, where can they go to learn more about that training? To learn more about that training, they can uh, visit us at Facebook. Uh, we are on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash YCSPC. And they can also email the Yuma Community Suicide Prevention at gmail.com. Wonderful. We also have a phone number, 928-421-0184. Well, thank you so much for your willingness to come in and chat with me. I think this is a really important issue that a lot of people are impacted by, want to be supportive with, don't know what to do. So thank you for your time with me today. It's my pleasure. There's one thing I should probably say. I want to make very clear that today I'm speaking with you as the Yuma Community Suicide Prevention Coalition and not endorsed by the Yuma Proving Ground DOD (laughs) of the U.S. Army. Got it. You're You're wearing a different hat today. Different hat today. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to TroyLLove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.